Welcome to The Great Conversation, where ideas matter, ideas shape markets, ideas can change the world. That last line, change the world, we run into all many, all these different kinds of leaders, and the ones I gravitate to grasp that last line, change the world. And uh, change, for change's sake, of course, wouldn't be healthy. Uh, so the change is always intentional. And uh, quite frankly, the leader I'm about to introduce, I didn't gravitate to him necessarily on his mission and vision for changing the world. I gravitated to him because of the unique plethora of books and blogs uh, that centered around one thing that uh, that. I, in my entire years of uh, being in the workforce and also as a strategic consultant to CEOs, always felt was my secret weapon, asking the right questions. And Bob Teedy is the one uh, to ask uh, the nature of why around those questions. Bob, great having you here today. Ron, I'm absolutely delighted. I've been looking forward to this great conversation for days. Uh, and, and so have I. In fact, I have your books in front of me. Bob was very gracious to send me a package. Uh, I'm a fast reader. And, uh, I, and Bob, I, I got to tell you, let's, let's make sure everyone knows right off the bat, you got to look for his books. Uh, great Leaders Ask Questions, the 339 questions, a very famous man once asked, <laughs> and we'll get to that in a second. Now, that's a great question. And of course, many of these were inspired by his blogs. They are a compendium of blogs. And, and, and Bob, what drew you to the subject line, the great questions? Well, Ron, in, in my uh, red book, now that's a great question. It starts with a confession. And um, you know, as they say, confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation, but I'm going to risk it here. But for, for most of my career, the truth is I was a benevolent dictator. Leading with questions does not come naturally to me. I, I sometimes also share, Ron, that a, I'm a charter member of TA, and people say, TA, I'm not sure that I'm familiar with that. And I said, well, maybe you've heard of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, TA is Tellers Anonymous. You know, our motto is, let me tell you. And uh, we go to our meetings. I stand up. My name is Bob. I'm a teller. And, and of course, Ron, that's a fictitious organization. But whenever I speak, people come up and say, Bob, I'm also a charter member. Now, I share this just to say that is the way I, my DNA, my DNA is a teller. But in 2006, I was uh, in a Borders bookstore. Borders didn't even exist anymore. But that day I found this book, Leading with Questions by Dr. Michael Marquardt. It was the first edition. And uh, Ron, like you, I, I love books. And, you know, and usually there's a morsel in every one. And uh, so I captured by the title, took it home. It was a page turner. And this book, this particular book, changed my leadership. And, and I didn't know it at the time, but actually changed the direction uh, that my leadership would go. Because what I found in that book were stories, literally of leaders from around the globe who were leading with questions. 
and it shared questions that they used to lead. And Ron, as I read that book, I only had one question. Why hasn't anyone ever shared this paradigm with me before? It, it made perfect sense. I, I, I switched overnight uh, to embrace it. And, and I was already on the U.S. leadership development team for crew. And I actually put an eight session seminar together, just parroting what was in the book. And, uh, and it was well received because uh, what Dr. Moorcourt wrote was so good. And, uh, and so that started me on my journey. And, and just to see that the leader who leads with questions, uh, I often share is 10 times, can be 10 times more effective than a leader who simply leads by telling. Well, um, I also, also what I love about your story, Bob, and uh, for those of you, you probably can hear it in his voice, and I get to experience it as well visually, is the first step was kind of self-awareness. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I've been doing this all wrong. I'm a teller. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, another part of this story, Ron, uh, I love the Global Leadership Summit put on by the Willow Creek Association. And uh, it might be eight years ago or so now, uh, went to the summit via the satellite location near me. And I knew the next session would be Liz Wiseman. And Liz Wiseman was gonna be talking about her book, Multipliers. Now I wasn't familiar with Liz or her book, but I thought, Ron, this is gonna be a great session because she's talking about leaders like me. So what's not to like? And uh, so we start that session and she starts by talking about diminishers. Well, you know, I know what the word diminisher means, but I certainly wouldn't have thought that was me. But she started describing a diminisher leader. She said, for example, when you bring a diminisher leader a problem, they solve it for you. And I thought, what? I love when staff come with problems and for me to say, here's what you need to do, Rod. But she said that was a diminisher leader, not, not a multiplier. She said multiplier leaders don't solve staff problems. Instead, they say, what do you think the solution is? And uh, what other options? And, and actually ask questions. Well, Ron, at that point, I was thinking a little lower in my seat, but she went on to talk about another thing. And, and that is... Uh, when you take a, bring an idea to a diminisher leader, they say, Ron, great idea, but you know, if you also did this, this, and this, it would really add horsepower to your idea. And Ron, I thought, oh my goodness. I love when staff come with ideas and I love to add horsepower to their ideas. But she just said that was a diminisher leader. She said a multiplier leader says something more like, wow, Ron, great idea. Tell me more. And uh, I had no idea. You know, you said I had self-awareness. I'm looking back at the time. I had no self-awareness of when staff came with a problem and I solved it for them, or when staff came with an idea and, and I added horsepower, I had no self-awareness, for example, in the second example there that staff 
after a while left my office saying to themselves, I'm never bringing TD another idea. No matter what I ever bring to him, it's never good enough. He's always got to add his two cents. And, uh, and so, again, leading with questions, as I say, does not come naturally to me. But if Bob, a teller, a diminisher can change, so can anyone else. Well, the self-awareness, it strikes me, Bob, and I'm, I'm asking you to comment on this to see if this might be true. In my experience, it's almost like I get a prick. It's a little needle. It, and, and let's just say my world is a balloon for a second. And that prick is scary because <laughs> it lets air out of my balloon, if you think about it. And it's scary. Yes. And yet the reason I'm, I'm, I'm actually, quite frankly, intrigued of your story is it did start with the prick and you kept opening that hole more and more. It was it was your self-awareness that was expanding and it, it led you to other things. So the first prick might've been the book with Markart <laughs> and then you're in front of Wiseman at the global conference and it just starts widening. Is that true? Well, I, I like your word picture, but I would suggest in my case, it was a two by four over my head. <laughs> it, took a, it took a little more, but it got my attention. Right. Uh, Ron, I've never met a leader who didn't want to be effective and who didn't want to be more effective. Um, and, you know, I would say that's, that's baseline for me, but I think that's baseline for every leader. And so, you know, whether it was Liz Wiseman or whether it was reading that first edition of Leading with Questions, it really was kind of a two by four over me, but it was like, wait a minute. I'm hearing a way to be more effective. I'm in and, and keep telling me other ways to keep being more effective. And uh, one of the things, uh, again, not, not wanting to pat myself on the back on this, but um, in Strength Finder, that assessment, uh, my top strength is maximizer. Well, as I've read about maximizers, is uh, they really are geared and, and desire to be more effective. But another thing that's true is that more effectiveness does not need to be original with them. They are, and, and I've always been happy to collaborate because the result of collaboration is together we're better. Together we come up with something better than either one could have created by themselves. Uh, you know, there's a scripture, one chases a thousand, but two chase 10,000. There's something about working together that is a multiple, not just an addition. Right. And uh, so I, I think having that as a base uh, of, again, just a God-given DNA of wanting to be effective, wanting to maximize, uh, allows me to be open when these two by fours hit me on the head to say, oh my goodness, I'm in. I want to be more effective. Here's a way. I also hear a story, and it's a very, it's a story of a wise journey that uh, a prescription, if you will, that actually is part of the broader story of the mission and vision of your organization crew. And I'm hearing it in you. So maybe I'm pulling too much out of it, 
but it started with the pinprick or the two by four. <laughs> and then there was this confession. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a good leader. I'm not a highly effective leader. I thought I'd been solving problems. I thought I'd been, you know, boosting my people up. And, you know, you, you immediately, I can just see your heart and your mind in front of your people that first time you decided to put on a seminar. And I can see you standing up. Maybe this didn't happen. You tell <laughs> me, but almost confessing like, sorry, I've been a teller all my life. I've got it wrong. And, and I'm going to seek to change. And how would you like to go on that journey with me? And it was almost a form of restitution as well from how you had led in the past. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, as I continue the, this, um, you know, the story of, of Tellers Anonymous, I say that, you know, actually my blog and, and writing my books are, are part of my uh, plan to overcome my addiction. <laughs> um, and, and, and there's, there's absolute truth there. You know, if you start talking about something, start promoting something, uh, if there's any integrity within you whatsoever, you, you want to buy your own product. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, and, the, and that kind of thing. But, but begin to see, you know, the effectiveness. Uh, way early in this journey, I, I happened, uh, it's another story how we got it connected. But uh, one of my dear friends, ministry partners, was helping me raise personal support in Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, it was a great time. But one night he said, hey, tomorrow morning we're having breakfast with my pastor. He said, I, I don't think this will be a fundraiser for you. But, but with what he's doing and what you're doing, you two need to meet. And that morning I had breakfast with Pastor Chris Hodges. And uh, about five or six years earlier, he had founded, or, you know, uh, the Church of the Highlands, launched the Church of the, planted is the right word. He planted a new church called the Church of the Highlands. It had already grown to about 3,000. Today, uh, I think it's like 33,000 and, and something like 15 plus locations. At any rate, I wish I'd had a video recorder because at breakfast that morning, Chris Hodges said, Bob, there's only one question that I ask. And, and he's eating pancakes and, and he's actually, <laughs> you know, reeling me in. He said, Bob, he said, I'm guessing that, you know, 99% of my fellow pastors around the globe every Monday morning ask two questions. And he said, those two questions, it's not like a sin to ask them, but he said, uh, I do not ask them. I, I have made a decision never to ask my staff those two questions that most pastors ask every Monday morning. He said, might you know what those two questions would be? So Ron, I'll ask you, might you know what those two questions that almost every pastor asks on Monday morning? <laughs> well, I would imagine, um, I would imagine most pastors after an event called a church service are interested in the receptivity of the audience to their message. And, and then if they want to take receptivity to an actual action, they'd ask how many people turn their lives over mm. because of that presentation. Am I wrong? Well, Ron, you, that's a great answer. 
but you're actually making it too complicated. And, and that morning, Pastor Chris Hodges had to do a little charades with me because I was kind of stumped. And he pointed to his nose, said, okay, they want to know how many noses yesterday. What was the attendance? Lots in seats. And then rubbing his fingers together. And what was the offering? Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. In other words, nickels and noses. Nickels and, and noses. That's hilarious. And uh, we laughed. And, and he said, now, Bob, if the first thing Monday morning when I walked in, I asked my staff, hey, what was our attendance? How much in the offering? He said, it would not matter what I told them was really, really important. They would instinctively know what's really, really, really important to Pastor Hodges is attendance and, and offering. And, and he said, now, Bob, I have my ways to find out those two things. And, you know, and he said, and again, it's not a sin to inquire about that. But he said, I don't ask those two because actually knowing those two answers will not grow a church. It will not grow an organization. It's like, you know, stepping on a scale tells you how much you weigh, but you can step on that scale every five minutes. It won't cause you to gain or lose weight. <laughs> it just tells you a, a, a statistic. He said, Bob, there's only one question I asked. There's only one question that's on the develop, that's on the uh, annual review form by which our paid staff can get a, uh, you know, an increase in salary, a performance increase. He said, we actually have the same question on every program. We, we reevaluate every program of our church. And, and there's only one question. He said, we use the same question in evaluating all our lay leaders. And he's eating pancakes, and I'm telling this much faster. And, and he said, by any chance, would you like to know what that one question is? <laughs> it's like, Chris, we're not leaving until I find out. He said, here it is, Bob. What are you doing to develop leaders? He said, Bob, on my staff, you know, I have a bunch of young seminary graduates. He said, if they thought the merit pay increase was going to be based on who can teach the Sunday school class the best, he said they would teach it 50 weeks out of 52. Only when they go on vacation would they let somebody else teach. But he said that guy gets zero increase. <laughs> the guy who comes to the annual review and says, hey, pastor, I've actually had five different people teach the class. They each taught it for six weeks. There's actually five people now ready to teach and you know take over their own classes. He said, now that one probably gets the max increase. He said, no organization can grow any faster than its ability to develop leaders. And, you know, I tell that story, but that was so foundational right at the time, just to think, wow. You know, a lot of times we say, well, what is the purpose of leadership? And, and I know there can be many, many answers. And uh, I have one I'd like to suggest and, and, you know, maybe it's not the, the absolute answer to it all, but one aspect of, I would suggest, the purpose of leadership is actually to produce more leaders. <laughs> and uh, I heard a quote once, a, a good leader is known by how many followers they have, but a great leader is known by how many leaders they developed. Ron, you know, another question is... is um, why are leaders that develop leaders, not just gather followers, why are they so rare? And as I've been 
thinking about that over time, it's because it's risky to develop leaders. You see, you can kind of keep followers under your thumb. <laughs> but when you're developing another leader, they actually will have their own thoughts and opinions. And another thing is it's entirely possible as we develop another leader, they'll actually be a better leader than us. We'll actually end up at some point reporting to them. And, uh, and, and so that risky feeling, I think, at times is, no, let me keep them under my thumb and just develop followers. Let me, uh, when they come with a problem, let me solve it for them. You just, again, prick something within me that I've been struggling to understand. Leadership training and development is a $350 billion industry. And I'm not sure it's producing more leaders. And I certainly have never seen a curriculum on how to prepare people to ask the right questions. Hmm. I haven't seen that. So, so have you stumbled on maybe the one thing that's missing to transform that industry? Yeah. Two thoughts, Ron. First of all, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, you have the figure there. How many billion did you say? 350 something billion globally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and in that, I am aware, but, uh, but, but I'm, I'm guessing uh, the number of what I'm going to describe is, is, uh, is a million <laughs> versus 350 billion. Um, there's an organization that I'm familiar with, the World Institute of Action Learning, and, um, and they do something absolutely fascinating. Uh, I've been trained by them. Uh, it was a whole week, so to sum it up in a few words is, is difficult. But in an action learning situation, one person comes to the table with a problem. Here's the problem. Here's a challenge. Here's an issue I'd like help on. And the other people around the table, and you have a facilitator. And before we get going, the facilitator asks all the others around the table, what leadership skill would you like to grow during this next 60 minutes encounter? And so each person at the table is actually seeing this experience is going to be uh, leadership development rich for them. So some might say, well, I want to be a better listener. Some might say, I want to ask better questions. Some might say, I want to be more open to hearing other ideas, a variety of things. And those actually get written on the whiteboard. And the facilitator says, great, those, those are great things. Now, here's the rule. John is going to share the challenge. And the rule is statements can only be made in response to questions. And so what each of you will do, and as we continue this conversation, is ask questions. And then once the question is asked, John can answer or any of us can answer that question. But if somebody starts making a statement, I'm going to interrupt to say, Bob, <laughs> is there a question there? 
and uh, it's a remarkable thing. And they've been training people. It's it's it it gets everybody involved, but it's remarkable how instead of brainstorming solutions to John's problem, we're actually coming up with questions to help to get underneath the hood, so to speak, get the hood latch opened and go underneath to check and, and keep going. Well, there's, that's one example. I'm also aware of different organizations that you know are actually doing um, seminars related to how can we be better at asking questions. But again, I wish that was at the forefront of every leadership development effort. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sure there's other things that can benefit people, but this one, this one alone, I believe, my conviction, can help anyone increase their effectiveness up to times 10 almost instantly. Well, I think uh, this has been a, a great conversation because it starts stimulating in me. I was almost like a first mover um, discipline and the first mover, I, I, I may study all sorts of aspects of leadership, uh, but if I can be taught how to suspend my statements, if you will, and learn the practice of question and active listening, uh, I then can develop those other leadership traits around it. So the centricity of what you're saying is the question. Statements can be turned into questions, can't they? <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes, you know, there, there's so many, I, I don't want to, maybe they're tricks, uh, little practices that, that can help any leader. One is you may have your statement and think, wait a minute, how do I turn that statement into a question? It takes yeah. a little thinking, but, but it's not really difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, and another thing I suggest that's so simple, the average uh, meeting agenda is a list of items, you know, one to five, one to 10, and you see the items. But if you're sent the agenda and, uh, and I asked you, uh, do you know exactly what the leader wants to have discussed around this item? For example, they, they have national conference as one of the items on the agenda. Do you know exactly what they want discussed? It'd be like, well, you could guess, but should we have a national conference or where should it be? Who should we invite to speak? Uh, you know, this, that, and the other thing, but you'd be guessing. And so for every leader just to take that agenda and to make each agenda item the question they want answered in the meeting, again, such a simple practice, but will increase the effectiveness of every meeting. It gets, you know, right to the point of, of, Here's what we want to come out of the meeting with, an answer to this question. Um, and, and I also suggest if you can't come up with a question, maybe the item doesn't need to be on the agenda. <laughs> but, you know, simple things. Um, another thing, Ron, that, that's so simple. I, whenever I speak, I ask here, who would like to learn to lead with questions in 30 seconds? Well, like every hand in the audience goes up and I share, you know, the reason I'm asking is so often I think people would like to learn to lead with questions, 
but they imagine they'll have to get a master's degree in questionology. I mean, in other words, the effort will be so great that it probably isn't realistic to think I could ever lead with questions. So when they hear 30 seconds, they're all in. So Ron, let's see if this is possible. I, I, you're my audience today. So I'm pulling you up and saying, Ron, all you have to do is to memorize my four favorite questions. And I've got my second hand here ready to go and I'm gonna share them. And as soon as I'm done, I'm gonna ask if you have them memorized. And if you do, I'll say share them with us. And then I have some comments about this, but Ron, here we go. First question, what do you think? Second, what else? Third, what else? Fourth, what else? Ron, do you have them memorized? I sure do, Bob. What are they? <laughs> what do you think? What else? What else? And what else? Yeah. Now, Ron, you got, I'm going to have to change that. You got that done in about 12 seconds. <laughs> we beat the 30 seconds. But, you know, in the audience, I say, you know, some of you are looking a little skeptical, like you can't ask somebody, what do you think? What else? What else? What else? And I say, well, of course, not in that rapid fashion. But imagine a conversation. And, and of course, what do you think is going to be about some topic? What do you think about a challenge, an issue, a problem? And the fact is, when you ask, people will answer. And when at some point they'll pause, kind of like, okay, I've, I've answered. Instead of just moving on, at that point, you say something like, wow, Ron, that's good. What else? And you wait again, and Ron will give you more, or Joe, or Sarah, or Sally. And again, they'll pause at some point. So now you've asked two questions, but when they pause again, you might pull out your pen and say, I've got to take notes. This is so good. Ron, please continue. What, what else? And they will continue. And you actually get to their gold nugget, their very best thought on the third and fourth question. And once I realized this, Ron, I realized that even when I asked people, what do you think? when they gave me that initial answer and paused, I always moved on. I didn't know that I was like that proverbial gold miner who mined all his life for gold stopped. Somebody came along later and said he was within six inches of the gold vein. It's asking those what else's that digs a little deeper to get to the gold vein. Because another thing we all do, Ron, is when we're asked a question, we instinctively roll out that first answer to see how it's treated. And so, Ron, if I asked you, hey, what do you think about, and you gave me that first answer, and I said, well, Ron, that's stupid. Everyone knows that. <laughs> well, you're sorry you answered. Next time I ask, I'll probably get nothing. But when I say, Ron, love it, well, what else? You relax a little bit. Like, hey, Bob appreciates, you know, whoever's asking appreciates what I'm sharing. And so you sh now are a little more comfortable to share more. And when they say, Bob, uh, Ron, I'm taking notes, please continue. Well, now you're thinking, wow, this Bob guy's smarter than I thought. He really appreciates what I'm sharing. And, and Ron, I share that example just to say leading with questions at one level is so simple. The leader who's always been a teller, if they'll just go into their next meeting one-on-one or with their team around the table and say, gang, what do you think we might do? And then listen. And when after people answer, I mean, thank them. Wow, Ron, that's good. What, what else? And, and again, listen. 
they will have moved just with these four questions from being a teller to an asker. And, and Ron, it, again, if you can imagine your team around your table, we'll say you have eight or nine on your team plus you, and, and you are saying, hey, gang, what do you think we might do about? Is it a high possibility that you might hear a better idea than anything you were thinking? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, you're the leader. If you're not hearing another great idea and you think yours is better, you still can make the decision. But let's just say across the table, Tanya shares an idea and you're thinking, wow, that's incredible. Tanya, tell us more about it. I love it. And she says more. And, and Tanya, yeah, go even deeper, Tanya. Tell me, how would you execute that for our team? And she tells you more. And then you say, Tanya, not only do I love it, would you be willing to lead our team in executing on that idea? How hard will Tanya work to see that successfully executed? And so, go ahead. So it strikes me, um, for those who are listening, it strikes me, I, I don't know if you all are sitting listening to Bob on this the way I am, uh, but us human beings love our tools. And we usually like tools that get us what we want. But what I'm hearing within Bob's spirit here is I think four rules what I'm hearing, Bob, and I wanna test it. I'm hearing don't do this because it works to manipulate people. Do this because you're genuinely curious you realize you don't have it all, genuinely empathetic, so the context of the person sitting at the table, a genuine ability then to take that information and truly understand it. So some kind of interaction to prove to the, the person who's answering the question, your understanding of their response. And then most of all, thankfulness. I mean, I love how you brought thankfulness into it. Thank you. As almost a celebration of this great conversation you just had with this person. It, it, does that feel right to you? Oh, it does. It does. And Ron, you're so right. You could lead with questions. I mean, I know ways that I could lead with questions that are manipulative. Um, but I also know that the people we work with are smart <laughs> and, and, and they will see through that. Uh, they really will. And, and even if they don't confront you, they're not with you <laughs> because uh, they're feeling manipulated by it. But uh, that genuineness, I, I just, let me go on a rabbit trail. I, I'm a farm boy from South Dakota. And this last week, the wait, governor wait, wait, of what, what do you grow in South Dakota? Corn and soybeans and cattle <laughs> and kids. <laughs> and uh, this last weekend, 
the governor of South Dakota, the first woman governor of the state of, of, of ever for South Dakota, Governor Christy Nome, just released a book. And the book is called Not My First Rodeo. And uh, now she's a Republican. I, I really don't do politics on my blog, but I, but I shared, it's a South Dakota story. And if Christy Nome was a Democrat, I would have read the book. And then the story she shared in the book, I'd be sharing it. And, and it's not a political story. But uh, she shared that early in her governorship, she was getting frustrated with her team. It was during the legislature session, and in South Dakota, they only meet for 40 days, so it's very short, and they were about halfway through the session, and every morning she'd gather her staff, and they would look at the new bills being introduced and, and wanting to get a handle, and, and she said, why won't they talk? And she's frustrated with her team because even though she's trying to get them to talk, they aren't talking. She's wanting them to debate the bill so she can really get an understanding. So one of these meetings is done. She's walking back to her office. When she gets to her office, two of her team are there and she just, you know, is kind of expressing her frustration. Why won't they talk? Do they think I have all the answers? And one of her team, a guy named Josh, said something to the governor like, he, first she said there was silence. But after a pause, the guy named Josh said, why don't you be quiet? And she said, <laughs> defensively, I said, explain that. <laughs> and he said, well, we bring up that a new bill's been introduced and you almost instantly share your opinion. And he said, no one wants to argue with the governor. He said, I think that if, when we bring it up, if you remain silent and let the discussion go back and forth among the staff, you would then hear what you're wanting to hear. And she then quotes uh, the proverb, um, a fool delights in sharing his own opinion. <laughs> Um, and, you know, and doesn't want to listen. And I just thought, wow, she shared how glad she was to actually gotten that lesson earlier, because starting the next day, she did that and began to see it work. Well, there's a certain amount of humility that the governor communicated there of her willingness to say, oops, yeah. And, and what a great insight from one of her staff. Courage from that one staff to say to the governor, it's, why it's, don't you be quiet? Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to remember, especially in a world that values titles. It's a titular world. It's hard, hard to remember that once you assume a title, the title itself can stifle questions, can stifle feedback, right? And, uh, and and you just name the word that has to occur, and that is humility, the willingness to go last, not first. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. this, uh, Bob, before we end this great conversation, um, uh, we will be mentioning your books and your journey in our blog. And of course, we'll provide some links too, uh, but, what, what, in this last few minutes, what, 
is your advice? If I, if I want to go, I want to learn more about what Bob TD is talking about. What would be your suggestion? Well, Ron, I want to share with your audience that everything I do on social media is free. I've been led just to do it that way. And so subscribing to my blog, leadingwithquestions.com, you will be joining leaders who are committed to increasing their leadership effectiveness from 190 plus nations. So if you just go to leadingwithquestions.com, cursor down the lower right, there's a place to enter your email address. And when you enter that, you will have subscribed, it's free. And every Monday and Thursday into your inbox will come what I call turnkey ready questions. I, I really shy away from what I call rhetorical questions, questions to ask yourself. But, but what we share is, is turnkey questions that you can instantly turn around to ask, depending on the question, uh, your, your superiors, your colleagues, your staff, uh, clients, prospects, friends, family. And in every blog post, I, I we try to have those questions wrapped in a story. So you understand either how the question was discovered, how it's been used, the impact it's had on others. And it's usually the story that provides the motivation where you're, you're saying, who can I ask? I want to ask somebody this question. And then second, when you go to leadingwithquestions.com, one of the words you'll see on the top line is books. If you'll click on that word, books, you'll instantly see all of my resources. Now, all of my books are actually free eBooks. Anyone in the world can download any one of them and they're available in multiple languages, obviously English, but Spanish, uh, French, Chinese, uh, Portuguese, uh, Albanian and Polish and, and more coming. And, and one of the things is, is I never pursue a language until somebody in that language group writes, gets in touch with me and says, Bob, we need your book in my language. And then we talk and, and see if that person's willing to be the champion. Um, you know, I'll cover the cost of the work, but somebody who says, no, if we had this, yes, I would tell everybody I know. And so you can go there, download them. And, and two of my books, Great Leaders Ask Questions. And now that's a great question. I've actually recorded the audio books on those. And probably just like your podcast, people can download those as MP3 to their smartphone and listen as they walk, run, drive, bike, or just sit in the rocking chair. Um, but I'm thinking of something right now. People you know, say, well, Bob, surely you want payment of some kind. I mean, you're doing this for some reason. And I say, yep, that's true. I say, but it's like the MasterCard commercial where uh, they talk about something, they add up, you know, the dollars, but then they say, but it's priceless. <laughs> and, and whenever I hear from somebody who says, Bob, as a result of your blog, I'm a better leader. As a result of reading one of your books, not only am I a better leader, but my staff are better led. Any of those kind of comments are priceless. That's the payment I'm looking for, is making a difference in the lives of leaders and therefore in the lives of their, their, their staff. And, and going back to that Chris Hodge question, what are you doing to develop leaders? I know that when leaders 
get better, everybody wins. In fact, another favorite quote, when a leader gets better, everybody wins. Well, learning to lead with questions will help you be a more effective leader. And everybody will win. And for me, that's absolutely priceless. This has been a great conversation with the remarkable Bob Teedy. And, uh, and I'm walking away a better man for it. Bob, thank you so much for joining us on The Great Conversation. Ron, it's been my pleasure. And, and you have a gift. <laughs> and that gift is you are a great listener and you ask great questions, but it's genuine. I can just feel the genuineness. And, uh, and it's no surprise to me why you're the host of Great Conversations, because uh, you've been truly gifted to do that. But I think, you know, Ron, part of any great conversation is where we show genuine interest in our conversation partner. And you have absolutely shown me that genuine interest. I thank you so much. You're a remarkable man, Bob Titi. Thanks again.